Hey, good morning again. Uh, good morning, Gulfside. I uh, found my way back from Indiana and didn't expect to wake up this morning and at 6.30 a.m. already have it be 88 degrees out, but uh, that's okay. I'd, I'd rather be here than in Indiana. My house sits across from a cornfield and in back of it is a bean field and that's about it. So you have a lot prettier things to look at. Now there's nothing wrong with the, the farmland, but after a while it's like, I need to see water and retail. Um, as my wife likes to call that, retail therapy is a must at, at certain times uh, to get out and get around. Um, if you weren't here last week, my name is Jay Harvey. I am a friend of your pastor, um, and I hope and pray that he's getting some rest with his family um, as he's taking some time off, and hopefully you're praying for him. If you haven't been praying for him and his family by name, I encourage you to do so. You need to pray for your pastor. I'm sure that you know that. We were having, I've been a pastor uh, for a while. I'm no longer uh, in a church. I work for the ministry of Nick Vujicic in Life Without Limbs. I am the prison ministry director, and I travel all over the country going into uh, prisons and sharing the gospel, but really empowering men and women to plant churches inside their facility. And we teach them how to do that if they don't already know. Oftentimes, they already know. They just need some more resources uh, to help them do what they're trying to do a little bit better. But I've pastored, and we were having a nice little talk here this morning with your praise team, and I just remembered at one point, uh, we were talking about how pastors can sometimes go on and kind of forget what they're doing and forget to call the praise team up, and, you know, we can be long-winded, and especially if we've had too much coffee cake like I have this morning, and I'm all amped up. But I remember when I was a younger pastor, and I was pastoring a church of about a thousand people. I was in way over my head, and this family had come to me, and, and the mom had wanted to be baptized. And she, they were sitting in my office, and she was like, "Can you tell me a little bit about the baptism?" And man, I went on for like fifteen minutes talking about the beauty of baptism, what it symbolizes, what it means in the Bible what it doesn't mean, the theology, the, the doctrine about Jesus being baptized. I mean, I was going on, and they were just silent looking at me like, wow. At least that's what I thought. And when I got done, I said, do you have any questions? And she said, yeah, I just wanted to know if I needed to bring my own towel. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. She goes, I I know what baptism is. And I was like, oh, aren't you kind for not interrupting me 10 minutes ago like you should? No, we've got our own towels. And sometimes we just, we just go on and on. And that's why I'm so excited to bring you this part two of this message today. Last week we talked about how God's not mad at you. We talked about the book of Jonah. And we talked about how the fish that Jonah ended up in was not punishment but provision and Jonah didn't want to do what God wanted him to do, so he went the other way, and he got on a boat, and he went to sleep. And we talked about rationalizing when we don't understand what God is calling us to do. I challenged you with, what is God asking you to do? Maybe it's just one thing. 
and you don't understand it. Maybe he's asking you to write a letter to somebody that hurt you and to say, I forgive you, or I'm letting a grudge go. And sometimes we don't even need to tell the people that because they don't even know that they've hurt you. One of the topics in prison that always comes up is that of forgiveness and how to forgive and how not to forgive, meaning when somebody doesn't extend forgiveness to you, when you sincerely ask for it, that is now their problem, not yours. And it's time to move on. There's so many dynamics involved in this, but what we see in the story of Jonah is he just didn't understand why God was calling him to go and try and persuade his enemy, the people of Nineveh, to relent and stop behaving the way that they were. In, in, in essence, to give them the good news that God will maybe spare them if they repent. And Jonah didn't want to go, so he went the other way and he rationalized. We do that. We do that all the time. He ended up in the middle of the ocean being swallowed up by an appointed fish. And I think the scripture I read last week said, God appointed or sent a fish. And so many times we think that was the punishment for Jonah, but it was actually what saved him. God sent a storm and then sent a fish to save Jonah from drowning. And oftentimes when we don't understand what God is asking us to do or we're trying to rationalize it away, we end up in a consequence and we think God is mad at us, but he's not mad. And just because you might be going through some uncomfortable moments of a consequence doesn't mean that he's mad. It, it means that he's providing an opportunity for you to see things a little bit different. Well, today, as I go on, it's a short book. We're moving into now after Jonah gets out of the fish, and he goes to Nineveh. And if you really study this book, you'll, you'll, you'll pick up on some things that I think we can still relate to. Nineveh was a, was a pretty big place, and Jonah was only there three days sharing this news from God. So a lot of scholars would tell you that he didn't really like put a lot of oomph into it. He did the bare minimum. And then he made a place for himself to watch and see what would happen. If you read this story, it's an incredible story. God relents because Jonah, um, the message got through and the king of Nineveh tore his robes and called the, the nation to a fast and they repented. So God relented. And this is where Jonah, and this is where I sometimes find myself. I could preach a great message in prison. And, and I, could, I could see some of the men who maybe they're there for being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Maybe it was drugs. Maybe it was an addiction that caused them to rob or to steal whatever, and they're doing a short stint somewhere. And they, you can really tell they have some things going on for them. And, and I can preach a great message in the gospel, and they can come forward and accept Christ, and I'm happy, and I'm on my way home, and I'm going, man, that person's life has changed forever. However, I can also preach the same gospel to someone who perhaps did something 
incredibly heinous, something that maybe you would deem unforgivable, and I might too. But if they receive it and they genuinely accept it and they allow God to transform their life, why am I not as happy about that? Why do I get feelings of resentment, bitterness, anger? Why don't I tell that story more than I would tell the one of the person who was just marginally a criminal? It's human nature. But that's what we do. And unlike pastors who go on and on, God does not go on and on. He cuts to the chase when he finds Jonah complaining about Nineveh's turn of events. In the scripture, it says in Jonah chapter 4, verse 9 through 11, but God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about this plant? And I'll explain that in a minute. Jonah says, it is, he said, and I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I have not concerned for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals. Pray with me. Father God, take this word and just uh, place it in our hearts gently that we may wrestle with it, examine it, and Lord, that you would help us to truly examine our hearts when it comes to the things of grace, mercy, forgiveness, our role versus your role in this world. Give us tender hearts, ones with compassion to see what you are doing, that we may be excited that you are a God who is still all about redemption and reconciliation, all for Jesus' sake. Amen. You see, when Jonah went up on the hill and sat down, he, uh, he made for himself this little place uh, for shade because it was hot. He could have been in Cape Coral. Who knows? But then God also made this little plant grow up and cover the very top of his head, which was exposed. And it was shade, and, and, and Jonah was happy about that. But then the next day, God sent a worm to eat the plant. And God was doing something to teach Jonah that his heart was still not right. He had done what he was supposed to do. Now hear me, he had done what he was supposed to do, but his heart was still not right. Because he was angry that the Ninevites were experiencing God's grace. That was his enemy. God sent the plant and he was excited. He took it away and he was angry. And God said, do you have any right to be angry? Now, I want to give Jonah some credit here because at least he was honest. How many of you have ever shaken your fist at God and said, what are you doing? I'm so angry I could die. I'm done with you. If you haven't, you should try it. He can take it. 
Read the Psalms. Notice when there are exclamation points. Uh, there are certain psalms that I, I remember just growing up, and I wasn't much of a churchgoer. I told you my story last week, but I started reading the Bible for myself, and, and I, I noticed this is a dynamic book. There is punctuation in here. There are exclamation points. The only way I ever heard it read was in a monotone voice where nobody, nobody's voice ever got elevated, but I see the psalmist, and I see Job, and I see Jonah having it out with God. Do you have any right to be angry? I do, and I wish I were dead. I don't think he said, I do. I wish I were dead. Kill me now. No, he, he, he was done. He even says in, in, in uh, Jonah 4.2, he says, I knew that you were a God who is long-suffering. And he pulls that from Exodus 34, where it says, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands of generations. Now listen, Jonah would have been reading that. He was a prophet. He was, a, he was God's man. He knew God's character. He just didn't understand why God was sending him to try to help his enemy. Now fast forward to the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus says, you must love your enemy, pray for your enemy. Do not harm them, pray for them. Not only pray, but love. It all goes together. But where is your heart when it comes to these things, these matters that in today's culture, it is easy to point a finger and say, that's the problem. There's the scapegoat right over there. It's that part of culture that is evil, that is the enemy of the church, that is the enemy of the follower of Christ, that is the enemy of us who are just trying to be self-righteous and live a life worthy of being a follower of Christ. And God may be saying, go. Don't pick at them. Go talk to them. Yeah, but what if you save them? Ah. Now we see how the book of Jonah comes and lays in our lap this morning. Here are some indicators that you might need to wrestle with God. When you don't understand why God chooses us, we're just like Jonah. We go our own way. We rationalize. We run. We hide. If I don't understand it, it must not be for me. Instead of wrestling it out and saying, why? I don't think Jesus tells us to pray and love our enemies to torture us. I think Jesus calls us to pray and love our enemies, those who it is hard to love, hard to pray for, because he knows eventually it will change our heart. Maybe not theirs, but ours. Because the same God that we read about in Exodus is the same God we read about in Jonah, <clears throat> it, which is the same God that took on flesh and became Jesus. A God who is merciful, full of compassion, whose missio dei, as I explained last week, the mission of God from the very beginning was to redeem and reconcile all that had been lost or stolen. We want scapegoats so that we have an excuse not to go, not to pray, 
not to love certain people. And Jesus and God is asking us a very simple, succinct question. He doesn't go on like pastors do. He just says, do you have any right to be angry? And even when Jonah initially says, yes, I do, God says, let me put this in perspective for you. You've been worried about the plant. You've been worried about this. You've been worried about this. And none of this did you do anything to make happen. In essence, the things you're worried about, you had nothing to do with. It was all me. And what I see, God says, what, what I'm concerned about are the people. And oh, by the way, just as a little rub into the side of Jonah and the animals, he's saying, you don't even care about my creation. I care about the nation. I care about the people. I care about the animals. You are embittered and entitled and angry about things that you have no control over, which tells me your heart is not right. Yes, you did what you were supposed to do. Yes, maybe you did what you were supposed to do this morning, to come to church, but where is your heart when it comes to those who need compassion and mercy and love and prayer? I have to check mine often. When we see God blessing others who are our enemies or happen to be those who we have deemed unworthy, we become angry, bitter, judgmental, and we end up resenting God's grace. And beloved, let me tell you something. That is a dangerous place to be. Resenting God's grace that he shares with someone else. All throughout the the scripture from Genesis to Revelation, you will see a thread that that talks about being forgiven as... um, Forgive as you've been forgiven. Show mercy and you'll be shown mercy. That and the Beatitudes. It's not just New Testament. It's in the Old. Why? Because God's character doesn't change. I read a quote uh, from, I forget the guy's name, but he's a pretty credible um, scholar who said, When we truly go on the journey seeking God, we will inevitably meet Jesus and meet someone who loves us, not a dictator. In essence, he's saying, when you really get down to it, and you truly seek your heavenly Father, you will find a lover, not a dictator. And that is so good to know for us, but the moment he is that lover to someone else, we become uncomfortable. If that person is not in our family, not in our church, not in our small circle, and has at one point been our enemy or the ones that we've been blaming for all the evil in the world. It's really time for the children of God to let God sort that out. You know, 
he tried to make it simple. <laughs> love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I've certainly been a scapegoat before. Growing up uh, in high school, if any kid in my neighborhood or my city got in trouble, my name was the first one that came up. It's all because of that Jay Harvey. They were hanging out with Jay Harvey. I, was, I, I might not even have been around when something happened, but I had my finger in a lot of things. I was the one that got things going. I know you don't have any idea what I'm talking about because you're just all sitting there, but I stirred the pot. And, and I was an easy scapegoat. Listen to me. This is really, really important and poignant at the moment. I was the one that was, it was so easy for other parents of 16, 17, 18-year-olds in high school. I was the one that they could blame, even though we all knew it wasn't just me. The other kids had some skin in the game as well. But I was the one that it was easy to point to and say, if they hadn't have been hanging around him, my little angel would have never. My grandmother used to say that. Well, I never. But she never finished that sentence. You never what? It's for another day. But guess what happened? few years later, some of those same people in a very large church in Anderson, Indiana, saw me being baptized and sitting on the front row of church every Sunday. They were tacked. There's no way God would extend grace to somebody like that. Now, I drank, I partied, I, I did a lot of things. I was still a pretty nice person, I thought, but I was just one of those guys. And you know, I would come to church, and I was able to spot the people who were genuinely happy for me, and I was able to spot the people who were watching me, just waiting for me to slip up. But see, they didn't know. They didn't know that I'd truly been touched by the hand of God and that I had wept on my knees asking God to help me. I wonder how many people that we've pointed a finger at or that Jonah might have pointed a finger at have been waiting and asking and praying for God to do something to change their circumstance, change their situation, and maybe he's ready to send you, and maybe he's ready to have you pray or, or, or maybe do something, but you just can't see it because they're not worthy of that grace. Well, a lot of the people that were just waiting for me to mess up are still waiting. 24 years later. I kid you not. I still run into people and they look at me as if, are you for real? Yeah. <laughs> I've been putting on an act for 24 years. 
I've been not drinking for 24 years. In fact, I want, pe- I want to fake people out so bad that I go into maximum security prisons on death row and minister to inmates just to make sure that I'm putting on a good show for you. <laughs> Give me a break. You want to be free? You want to be free of entitlement? You want to be free of your right to be judgmental? Wrestle it out with God. Ask him where in your heart or why in your heart you're not happy when some people find grace and mercy and compassion compared to others. This was the crux. This was the thing. But you have to be honest with God. And I'm definitely not up here making a pitch for you to go into a prison with me or to give to a ministry. That's not it at all. It's something I wrestle with all the time. We get ourselves in the fish when we rationalize, and it's God's way of providing an opportunity for us to see a bigger picture. And yet when we get out, even when we do the right thing, our heart can still be far from God's heart. And he wants you to be in lockstep with him. He wants you to be joyous when a murderer gets saved, born again. And I know that's hard. And I'm not asking you to do it overnight. What I'm asking you to do in this little two-week series that I have deemed God's not mad at you, is to take some inventory this summer on your heart. If you're watching TV and every time you turn off the TV, you're mad at a group of people, stop watching that channel. If you call yourself a Christian, you know what? Your citizenship is no longer here, technically. It is in heaven. You're to be an ambassador for Christ, not a dictator for Christ. You're not a hitman for Christ. You're a vessel. And once in a while, we got to clean that vessel out and say, Lord, use me again, but only if I'm seeing what you see. I tell my wife often that it's hard coming home from a prison because I know that maybe out of the 300 that I spoke to that day, Some will never get out. And it's hard because I'm very happy about that. I don't know if I should be happy about it. I feel protected. I feel safer because of where they're at. But I guess it it saddens me too that we still have to deal with these things. And I don't see that changing anytime soon but it has put me in a constant state of examining my heart and sometimes facing the reality that I could have been there just as easily as any one of those men on one of the nights that I drove when I shouldn't have. How I took people's lives into my hands recklessly, selfishly. So I could have been one of those. As you leave today, and as I call the praise team up, I want you to know that I'm just here to kind of hit refresh. 
on our perspective. Yes, there's an election coming up. Politics are ruling the day. But if you call yourself a Christian, I would just, I would take a pause once in a while and say, Lord, why am I getting angry? Because he might be saying, do you have any right to be angry? Or do you want to step aside and let me take over and give you a different perspective? That's what I hope we all end up doing at the end of the day. Now, as I promised, uh, I brought some more books back. I'm coming back December 4th to go into the prison right up the road. If you feel God nudging at you to go with me, all I need is your name and email and a piece of paper out there. I don't need any money. I don't need, I don't need you to be consecrated for like 40 days. I don't need you to fast for 40 days. I don't need any of that. I just need... Um, your name and your email. We'll begin a conversation and fill out some paperwork if you want to go with me and watch, observe, and just see. There's a flyer out there that tells you a little bit more about it. Brought some interesting devotionals back too from the ministry of Nick Vujicic. You can have donations in the white bucket. If you gave last week, don't give this week. Just take a book. Give it to somebody else. doesn't matter. It's been a privilege for me to be here for these last two weeks. And the only thing you heard me say over the past two weeks was God's not mad at you and check your heart. I'm good with that. It was worth the heat. It's worth the sweat. It was worth dealing with Southwest. You're worth it. Let's leave today with compassion. Let's leave today with a new understanding that God's heart is for all people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. We love you. And yes, I get entitled. I get angry. I get put off. I start to categorize people. (laughs) And then you remind me. Jay, what's in your heart? Could have been one of those people. Just be grateful. Lord, I pray that you would remind us all of that today, to be grateful for life, for a future with a hope, and for Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.